Spirit on him. We are focusing on the sequence of readings from the first letter to the Corinthians, and now we have reached chapter 2. Now, of course, the church in Corinth is no longer as St Paul knew it. Who knows what he would say to the present-day Corinthian church? And we look into it for two reasons. First, to learn about the specific issues that Paul felt obliged to write about, just in case they ever come to affect us. And to look for things which are universal and timeless in their significance. These may be lost slightly in the background rather than spelt out. And also we need to remember that the letter is in places in the form of an argument or discussion rather than uh, in the form of a textbook. Now, there is a story told by Tom Jones, the Welsh singer. Tom Jones went to visit Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, at his home towards the end of Elvis's life. Elvis was watching television. Dressed as a cowboy, which had become his habit, six shooters and all, and after a while he decided he didn't like the programme, so he pulled out a gun and shot the television. Uh, Tom chatted with someone who worked in Elvis's house to find out whether this was just a one-off or, or not, and the chap said, no, he often has to go and buy a new television. Telling this story, I sort of had a little digression and thought, if you shoot a modern-day flat-screen television, would most of it still work? After all, an old-type one with the heavy glass tube would leave glass all over the floor and definitely wouldn't. But that's a bit of a digression, and I don't intend to find that out by experiment any time soon. But anyway, it wasn't the television's fault uh, that the programme was rubbish. There's a saying, don't shoot the messenger. Speaking of messages, uh, some years ago, uh, moving on in a few years into the days of mobile phones, there was a remarkable incident involving a text message. Some holiday makers went to Bali on holiday. They went out in a boat and it sank. So there they were in a life raft somewhere out at sea off Bali, wondering what to do. And one of the British tourists got out his British mobile phone and wrote a text and sent it to 999. It got delivered to the British Coast Guard, who thought, that's interesting, we'd better find out whether it's genuine or not, and asked the mobile phone company uh, where the phone was that sent it. Uh, back came uh, some coordinates out in the sea off Barney, so they called up the Australian Navy, who went to rescue them. Now, whose credit was that? Was it the phones? Did the phone rescue them? Or was it the Australian Navy? We must take care not to give undue credit to the messenger, as well as not shooting the messenger. I expect we've all been to the doctor sometime or other, and doubtless we've been told that we're not very well. But when a doctor tells us we're not very well, we don't normally shoot him. That's not why the NHS is short of doctors. The message about being ill is, not, is the point, it's not the doctor. We ignore the messenger of whatever form and get to the message itself. The power is in the message, not the messenger. And the question is, does it work? Now, from time to time, there emerges a person who becomes a, a notable leader in the church. 
Some rise and shine for a while and some fall into disrepute. But one of the better examples is Billy Graham, who was a revered leader, a revered leader for many years. Uh, many people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, decided to follow Jesus in the context of his stadium meetings or through his publications or his films. And eventually he grew old and now he's died. But lots of people are still following him, uh, following Jesus that is, which was Billy Graham's lifelong purpose. I can still remember being at Ashton Gate Stadium in 1984 in Bristol. Uh, Billy Graham had a, a series of meetings throughout England in 1984. And I volunteered to be in the choir, so I was sitting there behind the, the big platform that he was going to speak from, wondering what might happen. Would it be any use at all? Now, Billy Graham's sermons were nothing outstanding. They were not very long, not very original, and they were all the same, really. They went something like, God the Father loves you still, in spite of the many wrong things you've done. He loved you so much, he gave his only son to die in your place so that your sins can be forgiven. So admit you've done wrong and accept this gift from him. Start following him now by getting up out of your seat. And that was about it really, with a, perhaps a few stories chucked in as well. Didn't look like a very powerful message, except that 2,184 people got up out of their seats that first night. The message does work, because it is a message which comes from God, regardless of who the messenger is. We're supposed to be talking about this passage from uh, St Paul, who is saying partway through the part that we read that I, St Paul, did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you. I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, he and Billy Graham were on the same wavelength there. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, Actually, they're probably well-crafted sermons, they just don't look like it. But the point is, it's the message that gives life, not the messenger. It's Jesus and not the preacher. Now, Paul goes on and says next that he came not with wise and persuasive words and all that, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may rest on human wisdom and not on, but rather not on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, we may or may not have seen miracles of healing or experienced words of knowledge or of prophecy, but there is one way we have all experienced the Spirit's power. Uh, that is, we know that we have been transformed from the inside. And St Paul mentions this, tucked away, in chapter 6, that of course we haven't come to yet. He's really on some other wavelength. And then he says, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, or perhaps a few more, will inherit the kingdom of God. And in such a way, there's a little miracle. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of us were. Not all of them at the same time, of course, but something that belongs on that list. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that is a miracle that we have all experienced. We know that the, the message comes with at least that demonstration of power and more besides, perhaps. Now, the main point of this early part of the letter is that before he gets round to telling off the Corinthians for behaving badly and telling them what to do about other things, he's establishing his right to be heard. And his right to be heard is partly because it was him who brought the true and powerful message that changed the Corinthians' lives for the better. But he also warns against relying on human wisdom instead of that message. What's wrong with human wisdom? It starts, usually, from some sort of apparently obvious proposition and then builds deductions on it and deductions on those and maybe it becomes widely accepted. But does it work when you've finished? Paul gives this example. The Sanhedrin and the Romans worked on the false basis that Jesus was not the Messiah. He couldn't possibly be. And so, step by step, they decided to try and deceive him, to trick him, to get false witnesses, to bribe people, and ended up crucifying him after a totally false trial. Bit by bit, they built up logically, starting from their uh, original premise that he was not the Messiah and needed to be done away with, and ended up way off course. And when they'd done that, did it help anyone to be not what they were before? Why are all human systems of wisdom doomed to failure? Sir Paul points this out in the last part of this passage. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? I don't know what you're thinking at the moment, so you don't know what I'm thinking apart from what I might be about to say. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He knows what he's there because he is part of the, the Trinity and knows what God is thinking. And what we have received is not the spirit of the world, Paul carries on, it is the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. The spirit of God knows what God thinks and he lives in us and reveals to us the mind of God. It works much better than other systems, but I wonder what other systems we may have tried and whether they worked. How many of us perhaps tried to improve ourselves by winning friends and influencing people? Did it make us any different really on the inside? Or perhaps we tried yoga. Did that work? Are we able to stand the right way up again? Or perhaps we've tried some other religion or that perhaps we were brought up in, or we've been learning all the philosophies of the world, or all the trappings of Christianity. Did any of these things help us to enter into a relationship with the living God? Did anything work other than admitting that we are sinners in God's sight, need to be forgiven, and to accept his offer of forgiveness and to start living his way? In this part of his letter, to summarise, Paul is charging the listeners to accept that he is the messenger with the message that counted for them, and that therefore he has the right to tell them off and to teach them, as he does later in the letter. His message was Christ crucified and not much else. 
He also insists that they've been saved by God's action and not by any humanly devised system. So they should be looking to God's revealed wisdom rather than man's manufactured ideas to govern their lives. So what flows from these two parts of the letter? The Corinthians are asking, so what? And they only have to wait for the rest of the letter where Paul addresses their issues of unity, idolatry, meat sacrifice to idols, aspects of marriage, conduct in church, the resurrection and some other things besides, all the issues that affected them at that time. What about us? What are the issues? Well, whatever they are, we might perhaps get back to talk about some of them at six o'clock tonight. We must remember how we became Christians in the first place and remember that we depend on God's power for anything, to change anything about ourselves and to take care that we deal with those issues uh, applying God's wisdom rather than something else from the world. <laughs>